Does God consider plural marriage wedding vows binding? Bishop Earl and I will talk about that next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Through the years, I've spoken with many plural wives who express the desire to leave their marriage. And yet when it comes right down to it, she stays because she's afraid of God's retaliation if she abandons the vows that she made in connection with her polygamous marriage. So we're going to revisit the topic again today and discuss some of their concerns. We use biblical authority to support the case that vows made in a plural marriage ritual are never binding on those who take them. Now, please remember, polygamists use the Bible to support their polygamy, but refuse to use the same Bible to regulate their polygamous marriages. A few weeks ago, we quoted the vows that Joseph Smith and Melissa Lott made during their plural marriage ceremony. It was very strange, and because it's <laughs> yeah. so relevant, it fits into our topic, we thought we'd quote it again. Yeah, this is from Todd Compton's book <clears throat> in Sacred Loneliness, page 597. You both mutually agree to be each other's companion, husband and wife, observing the legal rights belonging to this condition, that is, keeping yourself holy for each other and from all others during your lives. And they agree. That was part of their yes. vow, and they agreed to this. Now, Melissa Lott was Joseph Smith's 31st <laughs> plural wife. How could he honestly vow to keep himself only for her and from all others? They both knew that he had many wives, yet he still vowed to keep himself just for her. A wedding vow like that is useless and <laughs> phony. <laughs> but let's back up a few years to what Sarah Pratt said about the plural marriage sealing ceremonies of Mormonism. Yeah, this is from the book Mormon Portraits, <laughs> page 62. You should bear in mind that Joseph did not think of a marriage or sealing ceremony for many years. He used to state to his intended victims, as he did to me, God does not care if we have a good time, if only other people do not know it. He only introduced a marriage ceremony when he had found out that he could not get certain women without it. I think Louisa Beeman was the first case of this kind. <laughs> so Joseph so Smith's there. plural marriage vows and his doctrine of eternal marriage were invented by him to enable him to continue his plural marriage exploits. And until that time, there was no doctrine of eternal marriage. Now, Jesus explained marriage as being between two people, two people. a man and a woman. Right. He said there's no marriages after this life. Joseph Smith changed that. Now, God will not hold you, cannot hold you to a vow that you made that put you in bondage to a marriage that he never condoned or to an eternity of marriage that doesn't even exist. A woman whose name is Juliana, who left the <clears throat> Kingston Polygamy Group, talked about their wedding ceremonies in an article entitled, Man and Wife and Wife, <laughs> The Dark World of Polygamous Wedding Ceremonies. She said that in the Kingston Group, brides will wear white and yeah. they recite vows and they join hands with their grooms, plural wives. We share some of what she wrote. Yeah, this is really surprising. 
In some ways, marriages are just like regular secular ceremonies. They don't do anything weird. The girl has a white wedding dress. She goes down the aisle. It's pretty typical, but there are a few key distinctions. As with traditional temple weddings in the mainline Mormon church, the vows are not till death do you part, but rather for time and all eternity. And right before you do the vows, the previous wife would usually grab your hand and her husband's hand and join them together. It's a symbol that she agrees to what's going on, and it's kind of a symbol that she's giving her husband away. <laughs> I know. Does God really want a wife to give her husband to other women? And where in the Bible do we read about God telling a woman to give her husband to other women? Mm. Now, Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham, but God never told her to do that. She did that entire on her own and it, on her own, and it caused big problems as a result. God does not hold us responsible for vowing to do something that is against the laws of both man and God. He may hold people responsible for making the vows in the first place, but certainly not for breaking them. Juliana continues to talk about their secret marriage ceremonies. In recent years, weddings have become even more atypical. After David and Daniel, two of the highest ranking elders in the order, went to prison for incest and rape, they're married to several of their own nieces, half-sisters and cousins, some of whom were underage at the time of the weddings. The protocol changed. They started taking the bride and the groom and whomever was going to marry them into a separate room after they walked down the aisle so that no one can witness their wedding. Julianne explains, then people can't legally say that they saw the couple get married and it's usually women that are underage and it's an older guy and they're related. <laughs> <laughs> so the wedding is top secret because there's something illegal about it yeah. and vows made to facilitate illegal behavior are not binding in God's sight. Jesus said that he taught nothing in secret. So if polygamy groups are true followers of Christ, they would do nothing in secret either. Juliana describes her own wedding day. Yeah, your heart breaks for Juliana. Mm -hmm. On her wedding day, Juliana locked herself in the bathroom for two hours, crying and refusing to come out. Her sisters tried to get her to open the door and talk to them, but it was only Paul Kingston, the church's leader, with whom she relented to speak. If you don't want to do this, go out there and tell all these people who worked really hard on your wedding that it's not going to happen, she remembers Paul saying. Now, I could do that, but at that time, no, I would probably be shunned by half my family, she tells me. I didn't want to feel like a disappointment. Juliana went through with the wedding, wearing a white dress she had sewed by hand with help from her sister. Everyone at the wedding knew that I didn't want to get married. They knew how old I was. They knew the whole situation, and they just sat and watched it happen, she and says. There it goes. <laughs> it That's is. the story. But God will not punish anyone for leaving an illegal polygamous marriage. <clears throat> Excuse me. The biblical story of Isaac, which I thought about yeah. this as I was doing this, uh, getting his wife explains that they came to her and, and asked her full, complete say, do you want to marry this man or not? And she had absolute, without pressure and without any, any threat of damnation or shunning or anything, yeah. she could make that choice whether or not she wanted to go and take Isaac as a husband. Now, the Old Testament talks about making careless vows. We need to bring the Bible into it. Yeah, this in is this Leviticus. Yeah, chapter 5. 
verses 4, 5, and 10. Or if a person thoughtlessly takes an oath to do anything, whether good or evil, in any matter one might carelessly swear about, even though he is unaware of it, in any case, when he learns of it, he will be guilty. When anyone is guilty in any of these ways, he must confess in what way he has sinned. The priest shall then offer the other as a burnt offering in the prescribed way and make atonement for him for the sin he has committed, and he will be forgiven. Now, this culture doesn't realize that the office of the Old Testament high priest was completely fulfilled by Jesus Christ. He is now, excuse me, (laughs) he is now the only authentic high priest on the planet. He is the high priest who has made atonement for the sins of his people, like the high priest in Leviticus was a symbol of him. And it was through Jesus' shed blood on the cross that he made atonement for our sins. And he is the head of of, of his true church. Now, when someone tries Jesus and turns from false religions to Jesus alone for salvation, being the only valid high priest, Jesus has the power and the authority to forgive and wash away all our sins and to nullify all unlawful plural marriage vows. Our redemption is in Jesus, even from plural marriage vows. Another plural wife tells of her plural marriage experience. Yeah, I just turned 18. I was conflicted between wanting to find my own love and wanting to follow the path of the Lord. And I asked the prophet for a blessing. I didn't know that in reality the decision had already been made. And that's normal too. And it often happens in polygamy that the leaders or the parents or both have already chosen the husband for the female. And this woman didn't know they'd already made that decision for her. And she named this prospective husband, gave him an alias of Bill. Quote. Backroom yeah. <laughs> politics there. Well, you've already guessed the next plot twist. The prophet had already spoken to Bill and my parents behind my back because he decided he was to be my future husband. So during the blessing, the prophet told me that my salvation lay with this man. His existing wife wasn't crazy about that, but for the next few weeks, the church leaders bullied her into accepting me. Eventually, she gave in, and the wedding was set for five days later. So this was a forced marriage sure on both was. parts of, of the plural wives. Vows that are taken in fear and coercion and bullying do not establish a valid foundation or a God-ordained marriage. Her marriage and the vows are not legitimate and certainly not binding. Now, there's more. And here's the thing, there are probably a lot of you who don't get why there's such a knee-jerk revulsion toward polygamy in the modern world. After all, if anyone can marry whom they choose, what's wrong with a bunch of women choosing to marry the same dude or vice versa? The problem is that in the real world, it hasn't worked out that way. You'll notice you never hear about one woman marrying four guys. In polygamous cultures, It's all about males collecting lots of wives, usually in a way that gives the females very little say in the matter. And that's true. Despite the reality shows and all of this goody stuff that they make polygamy look like, it's just like she said. Controlling women. Controlling women and the men getting all the wives and the women having very little say in the matter. Mm -hmm. Even in the Old Testament, a female's vows were based upon her ability to make her own informed choices. Mm. And if she made a rash vow, 
her husband or her father could legally, with God's blessing, revoke her vows. Wow. Yeah. How much more so today with Jesus as our master and our savior, how much more will he protect us from vows made by compulsion or in ignorance? Well, completely he will. Now, we're talking specifically here about plural marriage vows and oaths that <clears throat> that are made before God with a man who has many wives. Now, we have several points to consider, and I got some of these ideas from different articles I read on the Internet, and, yeah. I, and I'm sorry to say for whoever uh, suggested some of these ideas that I didn't you have didn't a reference <laughs> to go to, but, but I got it from so many various sources and, of course, my own um, thinking through all of this. But at any rate, we've are. got <laughs> here they are. We've got eight points of how to determine some points on making vows. And, you know, just to say, this actually was very supportive of me for the vows and commitments and covenants that I made in the temple mm -hmm. myself, yeah, you know, marrying yeah. Carla and well, everything. This is giving me an insight to uh, to what I gave up, so to speak, yeah. in the vows that I've made to God. Uh, uh, that's interesting, Earl, that you should say that because... Although this, we're talking plural marriage Politics, vows here, sure. you you and most temple-going Mormons, sure. anyway, make covenants oh, to God. absolutely. And then they have renewal of covenants and all and that stuff. And when you I leave think the that, church, you're faced with, well, okay, well, I made these covenants. I raised my arms yeah. to the square. And, yeah. You know, so but what you does know God what? Think? We don't make covenants with That's God. Right. <laughs> we don't make covenants with God. He makes them with us, right. but we don't make them with Him. And so that—that's one thing that just can wash off of any ex-Mormon yeah. that quickly, because yeah. and and vows made like that. And I told him, told him I was sorry <laughs> that, I, <laughs> that I did it in ignorance. So and Jesus washed all of <laughs> the, right. all of the vows away, didn't he? Yeah. And here's the first one: We should never vow something that is specifically forbidden by God, or that would keep us from doing something He has commanded. So we can't we can't use a vow to right. to supersede what Jesus has said or God. Right. Second one is we should not vow to do something that is impossible to do. And a third one is a vow cannot be legitimate if it's made by a person who's unable to choose or to make her own informed decision. If coercion and guilt trips and shaming techniques and threats of any kind are used to obtain the vows, they are null and void. Yeah, and a vow to do something that is illegal by way of existing laws are also not binding. And of course, course and of course, <laughs> you know, this just makes sense in God's, when you know yeah. the Bible and what God says, it only makes sense that he's not going to hold us to a vow that's, that's right. not legal. That's and, not legal. and in this case, the laws of the land exactly. are against them. Uh -huh. The Bible explains to us, number five, it, the Bible explains to us what God's will is for us to observe, requiring vows to follow self-imposed rules and responsibilities responsibilities dishonors God and are not valid. God does not validate rules taught by men. <laughs> Especially polygamy marriage. Yeah. And the sixth one is, it is possible to vow to do something that is sin or to do something that will harm others or ourselves. God does not acknowledge those vows either. And number seven, we do not make and keep vows and covenants in order to have more of God's power. God's power is available to all and to anyone who comes to him in faith, repentance, and absolute trust. And the, and the last one is people can bind themselves to dangerous and spiritually damaging vows 
those also are not valid in God's eyes. And I think number eight would probably fit more into Two. the Mormon and the polygamy yeah. um, because yeah. they are they are dangerous and spiritually damaging. Yes, they are. Very much so. Um, and, and I have talked, in fact, I'm working with a lady right now um, who is almost ready to get out of her, of her marriage, but it's the vows thing. Is that's, that's holding really her holding back. back, and we've talked and talked and talked about this, and that's one reason I decided to do another <laughs> show on it was because there's people out there who are still stuck on the vows that they made in a polygamous marriage. Mm. Making vows in a polygamous marriage is relevant to every point that we just dis discussed. God has made some many wonderful promises to those who will trust Him through this life. And His promises are what we should cling to rather than unlawful vows that religion may require. And we want to share three of those promises with you. Yeah, Matthew 28, 18 and 20 say, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And in Hebrews 13:5, God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So if all authority is given to Jesus, he has the authority to nullivate illegal marriage vows. And if he's with us always, if he will never leave us, we don't have to worry about plural marriage That's or right. anything else because Jesus has all authority. We don't need anything else. And with promises like that, we don't need plural marriage. And finally, Jesus, of course, has the final say in everything. And when he came up against the religious leadership of his day, the same religious leaders who called for his crucifixion later, he gave them a message that is relevant to this discussion and is one that we should heed very carefully today. From Mark chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. That fits oh, right in with what we're really talking does. about here. Polygamy is a teaching of man. It's never been a command of God. And Jesus used an example where the leaders, instead of supporting needy parents, they vowed a gift to God. And it was called Corban. And in vowing the gift, they would leave their own parents in poverty. That's how they justified neglect of their parents because they said a dedicated gift to God was more important and they couldn't break that vow. Wow. But Jesus condemned that. This is what he said. And this is a little later in Mark chapter 7. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And you do many things like that. And again, that fits right into the topic that yeah, we're talking about, making vows to do something that God had no intention of being done. People can vow many things to God, but if their vows supersede or replace God's commands or hurt other humans, which polygamy does, the vow is totally worthless and sinful. Now, Orson Pratt wrote a book. It's called The Seer, published in 1853, and he recorded the early Mormon polygamous marriage ceremony. <laughs> it was really long, so I just picked parts of it that was relevant, and it went like this. It's fascinating. And this was an apostle, of course. Apostle. Uh -huh. 
When the day set apart for the solemnization of the marriage ceremony has arrived, the bridegroom and his wife, and also the bride, together with their relatives, assemble. The scribe then proceeds to take the names, ages, native towns, counties, states, and countries of the parties to be married, which he carefully enters on record. The president, who is the prophet, seer, and revelator over the whole church throughout the world, and who alone holds the keys of authority in this solemn ordinance, calls upon the bridegroom and his wife and the bride to arise. The wife stands on the left hand of her husband while the bride stands on her left. The president then puts this question to the wife. Are you willing to give this woman to your husband to be his lawful and wedded wife for time and for all eternity? If you are, you will manifest it by placing her right hand within the right hand of your husband. The right hands of the bridegroom and the bride being thus joined, the wife takes her husband by the left arm as if in the attitude of walking. And so it's not a marriage between two people there. It's no. vows made by three or more people. And the, the, he says the, the exchange of vows then takes place between the man and the woman who's becoming his plural wife and, and, and his first wife and other plural wives that he may have are standing by giving blessing to this sacrilege. And so for all those who want out of polygamy but hesitate because of vows that you've made, you don't have to worry about them. God is more pleased when we take a stand for truth, when we do His will rather than our own will or the will of other people. And monogamy is God's will, not polygamy. God brought together the and blessed the first marriage, which was monogamy. The first polygamous marriage wasn't until several generations later and without God's blessing. Polygamists in the Bible did it on their own. They never received a command from God to do it. And there are certainly no oaths or vows ever recorded in the Bible connected with polygamy. Mrs. T.B.H. Stenhouse was a Mormon convert from England in the 19th century. She married a Mormon missionary, immigrated to Utah, and later, much to her chagrin, her <laughs> husband took a plural wife. Oh, she writes about the vows and the oaths and other strange rituals that the Mormons acted out in their endowment ceremony. We quote a small portion of her explanation of the oaths and vows. Yeah, this is from her book, Tell It All, on page 365. Then we were taught certain passwords and grips, and then we were all arranged in a circle, the women covering their faces with their veils, and we all kneeled down, and with our right hands uplifted towards heaven, we took the solemn oath of obedience and secrecy. We swore that by every means in our power, we would seek to avenge the death of Joseph Smith, the prophet, upon the Gentiles who had caused his murder, and that we would teach our children to do so. We swore that without murmur or questioning, we would implicitly obey the commands of the priesthood in everything. We swore that we would not commit adultery, which was explained to mean the taking of wives without the permission of the holy priesthood. Otherwise, you can commit adultery. <laughs> yeah. And we swore that we would never, under any circumstances, reveal that we which, reveal which that which transpired in the endowment house. The penalty for breaking this oath was worded in the most startling and impressive way was then explained to us. The throat of the traitor was to be cut from ear to ear, his heart and tongue were to be cut out, and his bowels were, while he was yet living, to be torn from him. In the world to come, everlasting damnation would be his portion. 
Let not the reader think that this was merely an imaginary penalty or that it was expressed merely for the purpose of frightening the weak-minded, for I have already shown that punishments quite as horrible as that have been deliberately meted out to the apostate, the Gentile, and the suspected saint by the Mormon priesthood. The innocent blood which cries for vengeance against Brigham Young and some of the leaders of the church is sufficient to weigh the purest spirit which stands before the throne of God down to the nethermost abysses of hell. She tells wow. it very well, doesn't <laughs> yes, she? she? Does. And you know, if you, could, if you read Mormon history that has not been Cloroxed, you'll find story after story of this actual blood atonement yeah. and the cutting uh, of the throat and so on actually happened many, many times mm -hmm. in early Mormon Utah. God never condones religious murders and vengeance. Those vows are abominable and worthless. And some of them were still being forced up until yeah. just a decade or so ago in the Mormon temple. They were they vowed not to. 1990. 1990. 1990. So, so it's, 20, it's been 28 years now. 20 but, or so years ago. You know, but it was that's pretty recently when you yeah, look at in it. The history were, of the church. And we always, I just assumed that it was, you know, God revealed the new way to do it to the prophets. So. Yeah, and said, kill you if you don't do it. <laughs> that's that's right. God, all right. Anyway, that, that, like I say, they're abominable and they're worthless. And of course, God's not going to hold anyone to a vow that they made to do a sinful act like that, to avenge the blood of the prophets. That is not God's way. And polygamy is wrong. Escaping a polygamous marriage will not invoke the wrath of God, but will, in fact, if you turn to him, will invite his blessing and his divine help. And of course, Shield and Refuge Ministry is yeah. here, and we will help anyone or answer any questions from those who are interested in escaping a plural marriage or a polygamy group and, and take you through uh, the biblical verses and passages. And there's more than just this uh, that will help you have peace about leaving a polygamous marriage. Yeah, so this lady that you're working with, you try to help her understand that mm -hmm. she's, yeah. uh, the yeah. vows that she's taken are really not... Uh, Right. Binding. Right. And, and the fact that we, if we take vows to do something that's against the law, God can't, God, God is holy and righteous. It was righteous. never part of God's it wasn't. vow, right? So it was just, a, it was just an, uh, it a, still... a, a, something from the, like Jesus said, uh, you've let it go the commands of God to fulfill the traditions of men. And yeah. that's all polygamy is. But it's still hard, isn't it, for them? <laughs> oh, very hard. She's, that's the one thing that she's been struggling with more than any of it is that. Wow. Yeah. And it's been several months now. But uh, and it reminds me. become ostracized <coughs> too from the group when they. Yeah, yeah, all, yeah, all that goes with it. Yeah, right. and then they threaten them that having having broken your vows, then you're going to, you're going to be doomed. Right. Uh, judgment day, God will hold you hold that against you. Yeah. Your children will suffer for it. I mean, they just use all the the, the threats and shame and guilt, <laughs> and and that's not God's way either. No. That's not His way to do things. Uh, Jephthah in Judges, very, very quickly, he vowed that if God would give him victory in a battle, that the first thing that came out of his house, he would sacrifice to God. And it was his daughter that came out of the house. Oh. And and it's not real clear whether or not he <laughs> sacrificed his daughter, but there's places in the Bible where vows that are made rashly can be voided, and, and polygamy would be certainly avoided <laughs> now. Thank you, Earl. I appreciate it. You bet. This was good. <laughs> 
you know, people who do not know the biblical story are totally unaware that all that God expects from humans is sinful and selfish behavior. That's why Jesus came. He never acted in selfishness. He was always helping others in various ways. But ultimately, Jesus's purpose was to pay our sin debt so that we would be free to serve God unselfishly. And when we accept Jesus's role in our lives as Master, Savior, and Lord, He then becomes our High Priest, our Counselor, our Advocate, as well as our Savior. We don't need vows and oaths and confessing our sins to other sinners and tithing or ceremonial rituals or plural marriage or anything like that. We don't need any of those because we have Jesus, who is our all in all. So what else is there? When you have all, you need nothing else. Thanks for watching. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.